I love you, but I don't like you. That's all I had to say after years of hearing lots of complaints, anger, and accusations and insults from a woman that I worked with in the early years of my conversion in ministry. And I'd stayed quiet this whole time for a couple of years, and then finally that's all I had to say to her. And at the time, I felt pretty Christian about it because I'd heard how love is not a feeling, love is a commitment, love is a choice, love is actions. And I'd felt like I had in my commitment to her, in my actions done right by her. So I did love her, but I definitely didn't like her, and I let her know. And there was just a quiet after that that kind of scared me at the time, but I didn't think too much of it. A couple of years later, almost seven years later, she had told me how that was one of the most hurtful things that she'd ever heard, especially coming from me, who was close with her and working for the Lord. And thankfully, by this time, I'd also grown up enough in my humanity and in my ability to accept difficult things and realizations about myself that I could receive that. And I was like, yeah, that's true. That is very hurtful. But I also wondered why why it would hurt her so much. And I brought that to prayer. And I realized it was all around the word like. I thought about the word of like in the sense of that cheap way that people relate to each other, that we relate to each other in the world of measuring one another by the way that we look, how we speak, the charm that a person might have, the connections and the capacities they might have, and also what we could get out of them or um, being drawn from a lower need. But hidden within that word like was also a deeper truth that's essential to love. And that word is delight. And delight is something that's so essential to love. Without it, love itself becomes contorted. So we can think of a father who does everything for his children, makes money for them, takes them out to the ball games, teaches them what they need to know, helps them plan for their future and all these other things, but never delights in them, never just enjoys them, never just spends time admiring them or a husband like that. And even though they check all the boxes we might be able to create tangibly, even bringing flowers or anything like that for his wife, but that deeper sense of delighting in the the persons in his family, if that's missing, I don't know how many of us would really call him a good father or a good husband. Because there is such an importance within love um, for delight. And without that, love can become a very strange contortion. And we can also love people in a contorted way. And we can receive contorted love um, when we don't want to receive delight either. I'm also reminded of another story from when I was growing up. My parents were in the Indian Army, and we used to get to go to these uh, nice little fancy dinner parties where everyone would get dressed up and different things like that. Our home at the time was really beautiful. There were people who, you know, helped out around the house all day, like cooking, cleaning, all that kind of stuff. But in the evenings, they were asked to go. And um, my dad would ask them to go a couple of hours um, early on the nights that we were going to a dinner party for when everyone was getting together. And I remember just um, being so excited, putting on my little outfits and 
But my favorite part was to go to my parents' bedroom and see them getting dressed up. My dad would, of course, get dressed up really fast. Pants, shirt, tie, suit, shoes, socks, a little bit of cologne. He was ready to go. Easy peasy. Meanwhile, to the side, my mom's taking her time with her whole process of putting on a sari and her makeup, her lipstick, her bindi, getting her hair just right, picking out the right jewelry. And last of all, she would fix up her sari. And for those of you who know what how a sari works, it's a long piece of cloth that's draped and folded and, and put together um, at the woman's waist. And depending on the texture of the sari, it can be kind of hard to get the pleats or the drapings right. So as she would be doing it, I would want to help her, but my dad would always take pride in helping her with that, helping her set her sari just right. And he would look at her lovingly and bend down and hold the pleats together so that she could fix it, especially if it was something like cotton or one of those fabrics that don't fall right by themselves. And that sight was very strange to me. And as I was growing up and realizing how how great a man my dad was, he was um, doing well in the army. He was a battery commander and officer in command. He uh, told people what to do and they would do it. He commanded respect just by who he was. So seeing my dad come down to the feet of my mom just felt wrong and weird. And there were servants to do it. There were kids to do it. And I remember one time looking at that happen again, and um, little me hadn't caught the delight in this, of course, at that time. And I screamed at my dad. I was like, Dad, Papa log aise nahi karte hai. Which means, Dad, uh, dads don't do that kind of stuff. As in, men don't bend down before women. Husbands don't bend down before their wives like that. That's not right. Like, you're the powerful one between the two of you. And maybe you're equals, but you shouldn't be bending at her feet and helping her with her sari. That just feels so wrong. And he just laughed and looked at me and looked at her and said, Papa log aise nahi karte, isiliye tumhare papa aise karte hain. Papa log nahi karte aise, isiliye tumhare papa aise karte hain. It means, yes, dads don't do this sort of thing, which is exactly why your dad is doing this sort of thing. And I didn't understand it at the moment. And I just remember thinking, okay, what? But years later, this memory came up of how beautiful, um, how beautiful that moment was. And I remembered then my mom's face just um, blushing with um, just this sense of being, um, of feeling precious, of feeling honored and loved and cared for by my dad. Uh, because he would bend down but beneath her, even though he wasn't beneath her at all, and that he would take pride in lowering himself before her. And I could also tell it was also uncomfortable. As much as she liked it, it wasn't a comfortable feeling to have him do that for her. But she was able to receive that in a beautiful way, and he loved being able to give that to her. And years later, when I was reading through the part in the Last Supper, I was reminded of how, in a sense, that was what Peter felt when Jesus came to his feet and wanted to wash it. Peter didn't want Jesus to wash his feet because Jesus is God. He's the second person of the Holy Trinity, the only begotten Son of the Father, the Messiah that was promised. 
and this Messiah falling to his feet and like a servant washing his feet. It wasn't, of course, about the washing of the feet. Anyone could do it. Anyone could have helped my mom with the sari. But Jesus, like my dad, wanted to express this deep delight that goes way, way, way beyond what is necessary for the saving of a person. This delight that entirely saves, but does so much more. It expresses a love that far surpasses what is necessary. And Jesus insisted, like my dad, that Peter would receive this delight from him. And I think Jesus wanted the church to receive this love that delights, that saves, but also does so much more. And it was hard for Peter to receive it, but it was also Peter's orientation as an apostle and how he would have to love the church and her sinful members, not just with service, not just with a commitment, not just with a decision, not just with good works, but with this overflowing delight. So this delight that with which the Lord has loved the church is the one with which the church has to love the world, not just doing all the good work, but deeply delighting. And for those of us who are blessed and um, have been fortunate enough to have a friend, um, a spouse, um, or, or someone maybe in our Christian community who has looked at us with delight, we know that feeling that my mom had or, uh, or that Peter had of just initially not wanting to be delighted in because we're scared of receiving this thing, this aspect of love that is so important, but we also know will completely take us over and impregnate us with a new union with someone and bear children and bear fruit that we won't be able to control. And we can also be scared of it. We can be scared of giving that to people and loving people in this way it can scare us. It can make us think that maybe we won't be just or we'll lose the concept of reality if we allow ourselves to delight in others and to give a love that includes delight. But that's the invitation that the Lord is calling us to. I'm also reminded of the reading from yesterday's first reading where it talks about Isaac finding his wife, Rebecca. And this is Genesis chapter 24, verses 67. And it says, Then Isaac took Rebecca into his tent. He married her, and thus she became his wife. And in his love for her, Isaac found solace after the death of his mother, Sarah. So obviously Rebecca is not becoming his mom and Sarah will always be Sarah and there will be always that hole in Isaac's heart. But somehow this love, this delight, this tenderness becomes this ointment over the wounds of so many things that have come in the past. So as the Lord was washing the feet of Peter, we always think of Peter as the first pope. But here we're also invited to see Peter as the bride, as the church, um, and Jesus sitting at the feet of his bride um, and doing it just like my dad said. He was doing it because he's not supposed to do it. God should not be doing it. The second person of the Holy Trinity should not be doing it. 
and he knows exactly what he's doing and that's why he's doing it. And he says, you've called me master and teacher and you're right in calling me that and I am serving you now. So this is why you must do the same. So he knows exactly what he's doing. He knows that he's debasing himself. He knows that he's doing something that's far beyond anything that would be necessary, way ridiculously over. But that's actually necessary to express delight. So this morning we're just invited to sit before the Lord in our sinfulness, in our unbelief, in our difficulties, our ugliness, our messiness. Also our gifts, just the way that we are, with the hair that we have, with the face and the nose that we have, with the weight that we're at, with the tiredness that we have, with the dreams that we have, and the open bookmarks in our heads that we have, all of what we are. And we're called to look at Jesus as he washes our feet, as he delights in us, and to receive deeply what it means to be delighted in. And we're also called to receive this from people, and and also called to give a love that delights in people and not to be afraid of the tenderness that comes with love, even though we have to, of course, be careful about different things with chastity and um, and being appropriate and respecting boundaries and all that good stuff. But within all that, none of those things should become an excuse for us to... Um, withhold delight from people and withhold that from ourselves, that experience. So Lord, we lift up all the times and I want to lift up that um, that friend of mine from years ago whom I hurt so deeply and the other people that I've hurt deeply um, by not loving, by uh, by withholding delight. And Lord, I also want to ask you for forgiveness for the times where I have prevented you from delighting in me. Um, Or I guess I could never have prevented you from delighting in me, but prevented myself from receiving the delight that you have in me. And Lord, I ask that um, you would give me this new heart that's able to receive delight and able to delight in people. And that all my good works, all of my love would be drenched and soaked and marinated in delight. Amen.